2: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 52, Tiglath-Pileser III. Previously on The Fan of History, the Assyrian Empire is collapsing under its own weight tormented by civil war earthquakes bad omens and disease dan is there any way out of this we'll see
3: i am so excited about this episode this is my favorite episode ever i oh i want to, i waited for this so long <laughs> but before we go into the content i have to plug the patreon if you like what we do Please support this podcast on patreon.com slash history. I now spend my time working full time doing podcasts and YouTube stuff. And some other podcasts are a lot more successful than this one. <laughs> but I love this podcast. We've been doing this for two years. I-, I hope we are doing good enough content to make you sponsor us. Uh, you, on Patreon, you give us a sum, can be any sum you want, per episode. So it's sort of a contract between us that if you manage to do podcast episodes, I will sponsor you with a dollar per episode or two dollars per episode. And then you can set the limit of how many episodes you can stomach in a <laughs> month, <laughs> because we also do YouTube stuff for Fun of history, so that also goes on the Patreon. But if you only want to sponsor the podcast, you can set the limit to two. But if we reach $200 on the Patreon, we'll do a podcast episode every week. And if we reach $30, which I think should be really easy compared to my other podcasts, so why is this not at $30 yet? Please support us. (laughs) Uh, Then we will continue past 701 BC and the destruction of Sennacherib. And I really want to cover the 7th century BC because uh, it includes the amazing fall of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. But no, wait. The Neo-Assyrian Empire is about to fall right now, right?
2: Here it comes. Yes. Yeah. In this episode, we are going to talk only about the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Everything else that happened in the 740s BC was covered in last episode, so check that out, episode 51. So that is what's going on in this episode this week.
3: And we're not going to give you a king of the week this week, because if I told you that, I would spoil this episode. In 746 BC, we had this revolt in the capital of Assyria, in Kala itself. The Assyrian sources go silent. Oh, really bad. But we had these two powerful men, or one powerful man and one puppet king, ruling the empire. The puppet king was Ashur-Nirari V, who didn't do very much, and now he is dead. And the dynasty of the Agassides, a thousand years of Assyrian kings, it has ended with him. But why? Why is he dead? And then we have Shamshi-Ilu, the Turtan. We've talked about this guy for so many episodes. He controlled the Assyrian army. He was an Aramean that was raised as an Assyrian he was the most powerful man in the empire. He fought the war against the Rartu by himself. And he was around during the reign of four Assyrian kings. But he is now gone for a meeting with Asher in the other in the underworld. He's he's gone, he's dead. Wow. Who killed who killed the mighty Turtano? God, I'm like my heart rate is.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll try to call them. They were both probably killed by one guy who now sees his power in Assyria. And this guy should be talked about when you talk about Napoleon, Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great, because this guy is on their level. He is about to do so many fantastic things. And it's I'm surprised that you don't hear about this guy in school. Because they should talk about him. But we see the empire, we see the shape it is in now. It pretty much has fallen. And the, the powerful empire of Shalmaneser III and the II is in ruins. But these empires of these powerful Assyrian kings, it is nothing compared to what will come after this and what this guy will create. In fact, when people talk about the Assyrian Empire, generally, if you talk about the Assyrian Empire, you're you not talking about what we have talked about here in 40 episodes. This is not what people mean. They mean the empire that this guy creates. This is an empire twice the size of Shalmaneser III's empire. And it includes an army that would just crush the army of Ashurnasirpal II without breaking a sweat. We will see an era of invention, and you will be so surprised at what the Assyrians invent here. So, in fact, you haven't seen the Neo-Assyrian Empire yet. You have seen the early Neo-Assyrian Empire, the proto-Neo-Assyrian Empire. But now we're getting into the real scorch of the Middle East. <laughs> The real Neo Assyrian Empire. And we will have four great kings on the level of Ashur II and Shalmaneser III. We will get Sargon II, we'll get Sennacherib, Esar Hedon, and uh, Ashurbanipal, the scholar king who is standing as a statue in San Francisco. But none of these guys, none of these great kings, nor Ashur or Shalmanesir are the equal of this guy I'm talking about. When you think about the Roman Empire or the Persian Empire, you think, oh, the Romans, they invented all this great stuff. They were so clever. And the Persians, they were so powerful. They also invented it. It's all this guy. <sighs> this guy created those things. The Persians took his stuff. The Romans took the Persian stuff to make an empire. But this guy sets the stage for, for the Assyrian Empire, for the Persian Empire, for the Roman Empire. But who is he? Who dared end the, the dynasty of the Agassides? Who would take out the mighty Shamshi-Ilu? We have talked about him before. It seems that he was before 746 BC Pulu, the governor of Kala. Whoa, and as I said, the sources go silent, so when they return, this guy is in charge of everything, and he never talks about what happened, so we don't know
2: we have no I, we have no idea how he seized power
3: no, we don't he just he if you ask him, he didn't he was like he claims to be a son of Ashhinurari the V, and he just. His father died, he got power. Nothing to see here.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but we know that's not true. And uh, with the help of real historians, I have constructed a theory what happened. Well, so it. Do you remember Nabu the King of Babylon, from the last episode? Yes. I think Pulu is the devil he made a deal with. I think Pulu had Babylonian support in his bid for power. That would explain how he could take out Shamshi-ilu and take control of everything. I think he had the help of Nabonassar and the Babylonian army. And we have a precedence for this, right? It happened a hundred years ago between Nabu Apludina, the king of Babylon, and Shalmaneser III. Uh, they were helping each other. They treated each other like brothers. shalmaneser III came to the aid of the son of naboth Lidina and put him on the Babylonian throne. I think this is an, an, a brother alliance between the king of Babylon and the king of Assyria. That's, I'll make you king of Assyria and you will then not invade me and you will help me. And I think this is the deal they, they struck. And so this claim that our man here is not an Agaside or Abasside. Now oh, I'm starting to forget what the dynasty was called because they're dead. <laughs> they're uh, first of all, nobody dared question him. But if you look at what the Assyrian kings usually do, remember when Shalmaneser III was talking about himself? Oh, yeah. Uh, he was like, I am Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, king of the universe, son of Ashurnasirpal." King of Assyria, King of the Universe, grandson of the cult in etc. But this guy, he never mentions his forefathers. He is not like proud of his father. Of course, if his father was Ashurnasirpal the fifth, it wasn't much to be proud of. <laughs> but uh, it's it's uh, very strange. He only makes two claims, and we'll look at those. Our man here, Pulu. He will claim to be an Abbaside. There is an inscribed brick from Asher where he says that he is the son of Adad Nirari, the king of Assyria. And this means that, oh, that means that his dad was not Asher Nirari V. It was Asher the V's dad. So he claims to be a brother. Sorry, he claims to be a brother of Asher Nirari V. But we have seen that Asher Nirari V, it's uncertain if he was the son of Adad Nirari III or if he, he was the grandson. So it's like if he was a son of uh, <laughs> if he was the son of Adonio III. Adadniror III has been dead for quite a long time. So he <laughs> must have been a child when the III died. There is a king's list where there is a claim that Pulu is actually the son of the V and not of third III. Oh, okay. But there is also mentioned somewhere that. Pulu is the offspring of Baltil. And then you ask, what is Baltil? Right. Baltil is a, is a part of uh, the city of Ashur itself. So it's a quarter in city, the city of Asher. And this offspring of Baltil thing will be used by later Syrian kings as well. But that is used to make them claim that they are related to Pulu. Because they are not. (laughs) So, uh, but this, of course, uh, I I think it's pretty clear here that this is a usurper. Pulu takes the throne. And doing that, breaking this 1,000-year-old tradition sets a very dangerous example for future ambitious Assyrians. But when Pulu gets the throne, he takes the name Uh, And you pronounce it differently, but I think you maybe did the the correct English pronunciation, but I am calling him Tiglath-Peleser III. And taking this name is, of course, very politically correct, because Tiglath-Peleser I is one of the great kings of the Middle Assyrian Empire and very famous in Assyria. We actually talked about Tiglath-Peleser II, who didn't do much at all in the 10th century BC. And of course, this is a westernized version of his name. His real name, uh, his real taken king's name is Tukulti Apil Esarra. Uh, but I'm going to call him Tiglath-Pileser III. Uh, the name in uh, Mesopotamian means my trust is in the son of Ishara," And Eshara is either Ashur, the god himself, or the Ashara. The great temple to usher in the city of usher or both but i will talk about this guy as the assyrian which was a term used for him i used that a lot on the youtube show i will give you the full name of Tiglath palace III. i will call him pulu at times but i will also just call him tp3 from time to time, <laughs> time. <laughs> to shorten it
2: right that's a mouthful
3: and how far are we into the episode now
2: We are about uh, a third of the way through.
3: Uh, Okay. How many minutes?
2: That, I'm not sure.
3: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I just wanted to warn you guys that this will be a long episode because I've only gotten to his name now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When he becomes the ruler, he changes Assyria completely. He sees all that is wrong with Assyria, and makes it right. He will invent so much stuff, and of course this stuff doesn't happen the first day he is in power. But it happens extremely fast. So as soon as he's talking about stuff he did, these changes are in place, or at least some of them are. So these reforms are incredibly fast. And after we talk about the changes he made, we will spend this episode talking about the first five years of his reign, that is, the, the rest of the 740s BC, and what he does in these few years. But as I, as I think I have made clear now, he does change the Neo-Assyrian Empire completely. Gone are the days of uh, decadence, the fall, the loss of royal power. Even the plagues are gone. I don't know how that happened. (laughs) (laughs) There is nobody who wants to revolt against this guy. right?
2: He probably just killed all the sick people.
3: Yeah, even the bad omens are gone. Everything is gone. Everything (laughs) bad is gone. And he looks at the good things that Ashunasipal II did so long ago. So some of the old policies are brought back. The, The policy of deportation is brought back. So when you conquer an area... You take the people there, move it to another border area where they are considered by the enemy to be Assyrians, so they have to fight for you. And this happens a ton in the reign of TP3. He deports, he claims to deport 260,000 people.
2: (laughs) That's a huge amount of people. Yeah, quarter million people.
3: Yes. He reinstates eunuchs as governors, so no powerful dynasties. In fact, all the powerful noble families, they just have to bow to him or be destroyed. There is no powerful family in Assyria that can resist him. They, their power goes to, it just falls to nothing. In the, immediately when he takes power, it's amazing. Wow. Um, he also doesn't like to have vassal states. He doesn't want people to pay tribute to him every year. He will let people get away with that. But he will also turn border areas into provinces and make them part of the empire. And that's a key to the success of the neo Assyrian Empire. That will come now. And uh, so in order to do this, then, he changes the administration of the empire. That's that's one of the changes he does. But he also makes sure that nobody is in a lone position of power, sort of like what the Romans did. Because they got the idea from him, <laughs>
2: <laughs> took his stuff. <laughs> uh,
3: so don't have people with don't have people like Shamshi-ilu in the empire. Nobody should be in control of the Assyrian army. So he changes the office of Turtano into two offices. So there are two Turtanos with two armies. And the only time the Assyrian army is totally gathered, he is there in control of the army. And it's interesting the names they use to differentiate between the Tutanos because they are called the Tutanu of the left and the Tutanu of the right. <laughs> Which is all like right.
2: That seems arbitrary, but okay.
3: Provincial governors used to be a problem. So, in with the eunuchs, but also increase the number of provinces. So, at the beginning of this reign, there were 12 provinces in the Assyrian Empire. At the end of TP3's reign, there will be 80 provinces. So, he wow. splits them up, he adds new provinces. And being a provincial governor doesn't mean that you are super powerful anymore. Uh, he also institutes a bureaucracy, a small administrative tier reporting directly to him. They travel around the provinces and inspect the governors. So, are you serving the king? Are you serving Asher? Or are you trying to build a power base? In that case, we flay you and bring you back to TP3. <laughs> um, he also makes a super important change that will affect the Empire a lot. He takes the crown prince. He, he elects, he, he picks a crown prince from his sons immediately. Which means that he is probably middle-aged. We never know the age of these guys. But there is an adult male crown prince called Ululaya. And Ullulaya is immediately put in charge of a lot of stuff, a lot of administrative stuff. So when TP3 is out on campaign, and boy, will he be out on campaign, Ullulaya is in the capital, in charge of all the administration. So no, no noble can be, there can be no big grand vizier guy that just, plots evilly in the capital because it's the crown prince, he knows he will become the all-powerful king and high priest of Asher and he is loyal to his father and if the Assyrians are good at anything, it's being loyal to their fathers actually, it's uh, very rarely that uh, crown princes object to anything their father do because they know that they want this
2: Right, they're they're gonna gonna receive this at some point
3: Yes, uh, he also rejects the great palace of Ashurnasirpal II, and builds an even bigger palace in Kala, called the Central Palace. And we will do a full walkthrough of everything TP3 built in the 720s, because he built a lot of stuff. You remember, the, a sign of a great Assyrian king is building, so people will remember you forever. <laughs> TP3, also, he probably didn't invent this himself, but he introduces the use of army boots for the first time in history. No one had boots before? No. (laughs) And that was one of the problems for the Assyrian army. When they went into Rartu and beat up Rartu back in the days of Shalmanus III, they couldn't stay because it was cold and they just had sandals. Uh, (laughs) now there is a uniform army boat there is a standard for the army boat and if you are a soldier in the Assyrian army you get a a pair of boots that will carry you through the mountains and um, that's just the beginning because now the new Assyrian empire gets a standing army so this all tradition of gathering everyone and selecting the royal army in the spring, it's gone. The royal army will now never demobilize. So we get, this is exactly the change that Marius did for the Romans. But here it happens, and it has happened before. Uh, there are There is evidence that people long, long time before this has, have had standing armies but not an army like this one. So the Royal Assyrian Army now doesn't need to go back at the end of the year. They can stay away from the Assyrian heartland for years.
2: Because they don't have to to come back and take care of everything.
3: No. Hmm. And the old existing network of supplies and depots, etc., it's brought back, so the army can be supplied efficiently. And the range of the Assyrian Iron Fist has now increased substantially. Ashurnasipal and Shalmaneser couldn't go that far. When Shalmaneser went into Anatolia, it was unheard of because it was so far away. But TP3 can go pretty far. And uh, he also uh, makes the Assyrian noble families, uh, they don't get military commands. In the same way as before, military commands goes to people who are good soldiers.
2: Oh, that makes sense.
3: We have seen Assyrian auxiliaries before, but now they become a lot more widely used. And especially the Itua. I think they were an Armean tribe. They were conquered sometime before, but they will appear as kind of a Gurkha force for the Assyrian army. So when the Itua come in, then you are... Like, oh no, they brought you the too. this is super
1: bad. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then, of course, TP3 oversees the building of a network of military roads. And this is unheard of. I don't think anybody has done this before in history. And this is what made the Persian Empire great. They took the Assyrian network of roads and maintained it and... Uh, expanded it. This is what the Roman Empire used. Because having these maintained military roads means that your army can move much quicker than foreign armies. But of course, it's also a risk because an invading army could use these roads, right? We are not going to see an invading army for a very long time (laughs) now, because Nobody in their right mind would try to invade this state that TP3 will build. Um, Remember also that the Assyrians in their hearts are traders as much as they're soldiers. We often lose sight of this, but this network of roads is great for trading. So the economy of the empire will improve substantially just because there are awesome roads. We also get the couriers, these horse stations that you can can send couriers and switch horses. Um, we see the Mussarkezi, they might have existed before. The Mussarkezi are government officials responsible for stealing horses. (laughs) That's a heck of a job. (laughs) Yes, this army is reliant on horses and the Mussarkezi are they're allowed to do anything to get horses from neighboring people, so they, they do a lot of stuff. We mentioned them before, so they might have existed before this. TP3 starts a spy network. It's a military intelligence network, and it's uh, it's exactly what you expect. There are spies living in foreign states, reporting stuff back to Kala, and there is. He might have been around now, he might have been later. We get mentioned, we'll talk about him again. There's an Assyrian master spy, Ashurisua, and he goes deep undercover into Urartu. So he's living in Urartu and he's writing all the time to, to Kala, reporting on events in Urartu. So this master spy guy becomes uh, one of the important sources for what's actually going on in Urartu. And the Assyrians were always good at siege warfare, but now they reach a fully new level. Okay? Siege warfare goes from great to super great. <laughs> and of course, there's a danger here. We, when the Assyrians do invent anything, they tend to think that it was TP3 that did it, that tiglath invented this. So he right. became, becomes kind of a pig to hang stuff on like the Roman legendary kings. But he did invent a lot of things. It is possible that the postal network is one of his inventions as well, that this, uh, because there is a postal network very shortly, and I think it was invented by him. And this is the first postal network that we would identify as such, that it, it, the, you could now send mail, that is clay tablets, Across the Assyrian Empire, reliably.
2: Wow. I had no idea it went back this far.
3: It's it's amazing. We know that aqueducts had been around before this in Assyria, so aqueducts also an Assyrian invention. Um, the sources now come back online, of course, with uh, Tiglath-Pileser III in control. But the sources also improved to a state we have not seen before. They are, uh, some, some things are lost from Tiglath Pileser III's reign, and they will become even better after he's gone. But now we have royal inscriptions, we have chronographic text, we have these letters that are sent in the postal network, and they are numerous. We have legal and administrative documents. And we also have the old-style sculpture reliefs telling you how great the Assyrian king (laughs) is. But the chronicles themselves of Tiglath-Pileser III, they are pretty poorly preserved. So that's where the holes come in. But uh, there is work going on right now trying to decipher uh, what actually happened during this period that he was the king. And if it wasn't for the sorry state of Iraq right now, we would know more about Tigla's palace of tp TP3 will also reintroduce a good old Assyrian tradition,
2: massacres. Is he making massacres great again?
3: <laughs> yes, he's definitely making massacres. It's been a long while since we saw anybody do an Ashinassipal-style massacre. There will never be any Assyrian that does as many gruesome massacres as Ash-Nasipal II. But TP3 will reintroduce this policy that if you deserve a massacre, you will get a massacre. <laughs> but he will not go out of his way to do the massacres and he will stick to the traditional massacre methods and don't try to invade. It, it seems to me that he didn't enjoy massacres as much as Ash-Nasipal II did. But he knows they are necessary for a good Assyrian king. So, okay, he makes all these reforms. Do you think he has time to do anything else? A guy like this probably can make time. He will go on yearly campaigns. Most years, if he doesn't go on a yearly campaign, we will note that and question why. But in his very first year, he immediately invades Babylonia. Why would he do that? (laughs) Yeah, so if you read this in sort of a short summary of his reign, if you read this on Wikipedia, it seems that he is actually making war on Nabonassar, the Babylonian king. But if you look into the details of this campaign, there are clues that this is not what Tiglas Peles III is doing at all. Because he goes into Babylonia, he attacks the cities of Dur-Kurigalzu and Sippar. And he defeats some Aramean tribes, the Adiles, the Dunanu, the Hamranu, and the Rabilu. And this is not what you want to do if you want to take control of Babylonia. Uh, we have seen Assyrian kings taking control of Babylonia. And what do you do? You go for Babylon. You take Babylon. But he is nowhere near Babylon. Because I think that he's repaying his debt to Nabonassar. But these were troubling.
0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands, And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
3: Areas that were in revolt against this new native Mesopotamian king
2: and oh, yeah. I see.
3: So this is his paying back his debt. Nabonassar put him on the Asuri- Assyrian throne, and he is now killing off Nabonassar's enemy. Because uh, Tipi Tree celebrates a victory. He builds a new city named kar Ashur, where he puts all his prisoners from this campaign. And he's like, in his inscriptions, like, this was an awesome campaign, but the Assyrian kings, Assyrian kings always say that. Right. But I think this is just the policy of Ashurnasirpal II regarding Babylonia, that you, the Assyrians love the city dwellers in Babylonia, they are cousins, they are the same people, they are equals and brothers, but the tribal people of Babylonia, they are bad, they are trying to corrupt Babylonia, and uh, when the campaign ends, Nabunassar is secure on the throne. So Nabunassar is uh, happy with this campaign. And uh, they are great friends. Oh, so that great. was the warm-up campaign of tiglath II. III. So you would think that he would spend like a year making sure the empire is, making sure all governors are loyal, etc. But he's already done that since so 744 BC. In his second year, he goes on an insane campaign. He knows, just like Ashurnasirpal II did, that the south is safe. He has a friend there. So he goes east. And in the last episode, we talked about the last war in 748 BC against Namri, the kingdom of the Kassites. And uh, this campaign that will happen now in 744 BC, it's uh, not mentioned very often when you talk about Tiglas Peles III, but I, I think it's undervalued <laughs> as a great achievement, because he is now uh, uh, going into uh, uh, the area of the Bit Sati, the Bit Abdan, the Bit Kapsi, powerful tribes. He captures the city of Nikur, makes it the capital of a new province in the eastern mountains, and the king of the Bit Kapsi, Batanu, is allowed to stay on as an Assyrian vassal. And Parsua, the heartland, uh, the ancient homeland of the Persians, it's taken and formed into an Assyrian province. But it will be a vassal state in like 30 years. So I don't know what happened there. There's also a place called Bit Kabman that is captured. So, when Tiglas pileser III goes into the mountains, like, victories all around. <laughs> right. And how long was it? Ag- how, how long ago was it that some Assyrian king added territory to the empire as a province? So, I, I don't even know. It's been ages. Uh, Elippi is a small state north of Elam that we talked about. It's in the mountains It's east of Assyria. And there's a guy called Dalta, who's the king of Elippi. He sees what's happening here. And he sends tribute to Tiglath-Peles III before Tiglath-Peles III even has the time to decide if he is going to invade Elippi.
2: Right.
3: So he's like, I'm a vassal of you. ha <laughs> Nice. Uh, screw Elam. I don't care about them anymore. <laughs>
2: uh,
3: and we don't know what the Elamites thought about this, but uh, it was probably bad. But he gets away with this. Dalta will stay in power of Elippi for a long time. And one reason is that he made this quick decision just about what is happening now. I've heard legends about good Assyrian kings. I better not fight them. There is Mania, as I mentioned, east of Assyria, southeast of Urartu, Very contested area. Lots of kings there. Very unclear who rules this. But there is a powerful lord in Mania called Iransu. He also does this. He also sees TP3 coming, and he's like, oh, wow, I love you. Here's my tribute. Mm -hmm. I am your guy. And he manages to stay on as a vassal king. So in this one year, (laughs) Tiglath Pellet III has extended the empire far into the Zagros mountains. He even has vassal states bordering the ancient kingdom of Elam. And this is further than no Assyrian king before him has gone before and we are only in his second year. Wow. The Medes, they just uh, go further into the mountains. They just, we are not dealing with this guy. <laughs> we are not being attacked again. We are just gone. <laughs> <laughs> and this, of course, Dalta of Elypia and Eranso Mania, these guys that choose to become vassals, they, uh, they are really happy that the Medes are gone. <laughs> They were really hard to deal with. And they will remain loyal to Assyria for such a long time that they will be helping a future Assyrian king in this area. So it wasn't uh, something they just said to Tiglas Pellicet III. They were really becoming Assyrian vassals for good.
2: He has to be setting these up not just with you know fear and intimidation. There's got to be a You know, those essentially offers you can't refuse.
3: I think there's definitely a system that we uh, possibly have not seen before here in place. That you don't mess with this guy. You you can't, like, stop paying tribute when he's not around. Uh For the next year, in 743 BC, he has already gone south and east, and he stabilized all the border problems in those areas. And he expanded the empire. So now it's time to go west. Since so 743 BC, the uh, Assyrian himself, Tiglath Peles III, invades Syria. And here we have these Urartian anti Assyrian alliance. Uh, everyone is up in arms in uh, Syria. They thought that they were going to kill off the empire. And then suddenly, Tiglath Peles III invades them. <laughs> Caught them off guard. So, King Mattiel of Arpad, they are not off guard really, because they were prepared to invade the empire. Mm-hmm. So Mattiel, the king of Arpad, he claims the leadership of this alliance, possibly because Sarduri II preferred, overall to prefer to work behind the scenes. And a lot of uh, Syrian states join with Arpad. So Karkemish could possibly be in here, but confirmed members of this anti-Assyrian alliance are Gurgum, Kumuk, that we talked about in the last episode, and of course, and Arpad. And we have an Urartian army coming to join the Arpadian army. And the Urartian army has made it to Kumuk. But instead of waiting for an attack, the Assyrian tiglath pileser heard he just invades Arpad. Or Syriadan. So... All the tribes and states in the area that hasn't joined the anti assyrian Alliance, they immediately pick the side of the Assyrians. They're like, oh, you're back. It's great. Here's our tribute. We we longed for you to come back.
2: (laughs) Right. Very convenient for them.
3: So, um, but Sarduri II, he... He is a great commander in himself. We're talking perhaps about the best Urartian king ever. So he sees this move of Tiglas Peles III, and he managed to join up with, uh, with these rebel states. So we are now at the heavyweight main event. We have Tiglas Peles III. Okay, let's do this properly. Okay. Will you do
2: it? Sure. All right. <clears throat> so welcome to the heavyweight main event. The Assyrian versus Sarduri the second. In the right corner, wearing white shorts. Sarduri the second. In the left corner, wearing the blue shorts. Upstart rookie Pulu. So this is it. This is
3: Saduri II thinks that this is his chance to take out the Empire. He surely has noticed that the Empire has improved, that they have done all these things. But his plans were set. He thought that he could take out the Empire. And I don't think, if the Assyrian army was still under the control of Shamshi Ilu, I think Saduri II would have won this. But you, you would expect an epic battle here. And of course, the Assyrians never tell us what happened on the battlefield. And Saduri II, sure, is not going to tell us what happened here. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's an absolute rout. It's a total Assyrian victory. And Sarduri II has to scrub together the remains of his army. This powerful army has won a ton of wars with it but he's just crushed by Tiglath-Pelesa III. And he has to run to the mountains. And this is such an important event. This is the, the time and place where Tiglath-Pelesa III really saves the Neo-Syrian Empire and makes everything possible that will happen later. Because the power of the Rarchens is broken for some time now. That They have to hide in the mountains like they used to do. And they are not going to interfere with the Assyrian plans as much. And Kumuk, which is very close to the site of this battle, which we don't know where the battle was. But Kumuk is probably close. And Kumuk, conquered by Urartu in the last episode, they immediately submit. They're like, tiglath Peles III, yes, do whatever you want with us. we we, were never with the Urartians. They forced us to do this. So then Tiglath-Pellus III proceeds to Gurgum, also a state there that was in this alliance. And Tarkulara, the king of Gurgum, he, like, will I take a siege? Will I see my people massacred? No, I won't. So he just walks out, bends the knee, and submits to Tiglath-Pellus III. That leaves us with our pod. Remember the king of our pod wanted to be the leader of this alliance? Right. And now Tiglath Pellet III with a full Neo-Assyrian army standing outside our pod. And what would you do if you were the king of our pod?
2: Well, personally, I would take the example and go out there and say, Oh, I was just kidding. Here, we want to be a vassal too. But the king of our pod cannot do this. He has experienced
3: too much freedom... He remembered the tales of how it was when the Assyrians were strong. And he will not face that. So he says, no, this is my city. You are not going to get it. Uh, and tiglath pileser III goes through this entire dance of the siege. And like, you, you know what you're doing? We're like, we're going to... If we're going to take your city, we're going to massacre every single person in the city. But you have all these outs. Please take one of them. But the king of our party is like, no will fight to the end. And the king of our pod knows that our pod has, it's well supplied, it can survive a siege for a long time, the walls are strong, and he knows that the Assyrian army has to return home at the end of the year. So he'll take the siege. But when winter comes, Tiglath-Pellicer is still there. And he's like, oh, what's this? But he still decides to resist, so Arpad besieged for the full rest of the year of 743 BC. And when the next year begins, Tiglas Peles III is still outside Arpad. He's like, what are you doing? (laughs) I'm the Assyrian. (laughs) Let me in. Okay, I'll give you another out. (laughs) Surrender now and uh, uh, you'll be a vassal state. But the Arpadians are like, no way. You have to massacre us. Wow. That seems
2: and ridiculous.
3: This is not what Tiglath, <laughs> Tiglath pelisson III wanted. He wanted to proceed. He wanted to go do a great campaign to the Mediterranean like the kings of old. So he's like, what? Who are these guys? Why are they resisting me? They have nothing. But the Alpadians are no, no, we are resisting you. <laughs> so DP3 decides to leave a skeleton force besieging Arpad, and it's probably sized on a similar scale as the Arpadian force, but the siege will continue, but Tiglath-Pellet III will go into Israel. And there is a possibility that this was done on request from some Israelites, because the Bible in Kings, uh, 2 Kings 15.19 reports that Pool king of the Assyrians, came into the land. And the Bible also says that there was a pro-Egyptian, however you could be pro-Egyptian at this point, and a pro-Assyrian party in Israel at this point. So, there were some people that thought that being part of this growing empire under this powerful king would be a good thing for Israel. So he might have been invited. Hmm. And uh, of course on the way he passes Damascus. This old foil of Assyria. Damascus used to be the center for anti-Assyrian resistance in the area. But Damascus just oh you're back. Here's our tribute. Hello. <laughs> we never left you in our hearts.
2: <laughs> How can Judah
3: use? does the same thing? Judah, being south of Israel, they are just, uh-oh, this is not good. We are sending tribute. We are becoming <laughs> vassals. Do you remember who's in charge of Israel? Right now? Yes.
2: Hmm. No, If I, can't I tell
3: remember. you that he rips open pregnant women, do you remember him? <laughs> I remember that part. Yeah, it's King Menahem. Menachem of Israel. He sees power. He's a powerful warlord. He is the strongest local, local ruler in the area. And he has blood on his hands. He's seen fighting. Uh, he has a strong city in Samaria. He has several strong cities. His kingdom is rich since the golden age. And then Tiglath Peles III enters Israel and Menachem has A decision to make. He knows that there's a siege going on behind Tiglath Peles III's line. So the Arpadians are kind of on his side but Menachem, he knows what this is like. He knows exactly what to do. So he just forces his people. He sends his soldiers into the Israelite cities taking tons of silver from them. So everybody has to pay this enormous uh, fee to Menachem. So when Tiglath-Peles III, everybody has to pay six, everyone who is mighty and rich. I don't know how they calculated this, but they had to pay uh, 0.6 kilograms of silver to Menachem right now, immediately. And this adds up to 37 tons of silver, that means that there were sixty thousand people in Israel who were mighty and rich.
2: Wow. <laughs> I'm guessing that's open for interpretation.
3: Yep, it probably is. But he, when Tiglath-Pileser III shows up, Menachem just submits. Here is our tribute: his thirty-seven tons of silver. We are your vassals. Please don't kill us. <laughs> And Tiglath-Peles said, that's okay with me, give me those 37 tons of silver, please.
2: Right. At current value, that would be roughly 37 million dollars.
3: Sweet. So the golden years of Jeroboam II of Israel, they seem very distant now because this enormous sudden tax really hurts Israel and makes people in Israel super mad at the king. So Tiglath-Piles III expected a war in Israel, but he just went on a little excursion. Damascus, Israel, and Judah submitted, and he can go back to besieging Arpad. He's like, hello, Arpadians, everybody else submitted, aren't you going to submit? And they're like, no way, (laughs) never going to submit to you, you stupid Assyrian. And uh, in 741 BC, then, we have the eponym year of Belkaran Bela Usur, and this is surprising because Belkaran Bela was mentioned in the 770s BC on this show. He was one of those powerful nobles in Assyria that uh, threatened the power of the king, but he is still around, and he must have been in on uh, Pulu's revolt. Because he lived in Kala and uh, he was the palace herald, and he's still the palace herald (laughs) working for Tiglath-Pelesur III. And uh, we still have the crown prince then, Ululaya. When he becomes the king, because he will become the king eventually, he will be named the V. And he will do something spectacular. We'll spend a whole episode talking about that later. But he is working, administrating the empire, getting experience for being the king. So in 741 BC, we're checking in with our pod again. And uh, Tiglath-Pileser is like, please give up. And our pod <laughs> is, no, we can't resist you. So the, the siege continues for the whole year of 741. It's been going on 743, 742, 741
2: now. That is a long time.
3: <laughs> it is a long time. And it's so surprising that Tiglath pileser III cannot take the city. It's sort of the little thing that, like, it's a small stone in his eye that <laughs> is not getting our path. In 740 BC, Uzziah, who is the king of Judah, dies. And this was probably not something he regretted too much, because he had been hidden away in this cave with his leprosy. Oh, yeah. And Ku ruled uh, Judah with his son, Jotham? So now Jotham becomes the sole king of Judah. Uh, Uzziah first ruled Judah with his father and then alone and then with his son. So he has been around since 791 BC. For 51 years. And he ruled Judah during the Golden Age. But when he dies, then Judah is just another small Assyrian vassal state. So, let's check in with the siege. Tiglath-Pileser III is giving up on the Arpadians in 740 BC. He decides to put his new siege techniques into use. We don't get the details of the siege techniques, but oh, we will, in this century, get a fully detailed Assyrian siege, including their methods.
2: Oh, that's cool.
3: But for this siege of Arpad in 740 BC, we just learned that the walls are breached. The Arpadians have had all these opportunities to give up to Tiglath-Pelliser III, and I I haven't been able to find a a siege that lasts three years like this one did. So when Tiglath-Pelliser gets into the city of Arpad, he is super pissed, he promised to massacre them, and he flays every single man, woman and child in the city. There are no deportations, no slavery here. He flays them and stakes them all, and he even builds a Tower of Heads, in good old Ashen II style. And then, he races Arpad to the ground. So the city of Arpad that has been around since the neo hittite Empire, at least, maybe before that, it's gone.
2: It's just gone.
3: Yes, raised to the ground. And the area is conquered, made into an Assyrian province, and you could, uh, it's, uh, archaeologists think that a place called Tel Rifat, Tel is the remain of an ancient city in Syria, and Tel Rifat is probably the remains of Arpad. The site was never occupied again, and there is a wall preserved that is eight meters high, so they probably had pretty powerful walls, but Arpad now dies forever. And the anti Assyrian alliance of, in Syria is gone, but Urartu is still in the mountains. The fortresses of Urartu are still strong. Saduri II is hiding in the mountains now, and of course, if you read his records, this never happened.
2: <laughs> of course not.
3: And Syria as a whole is in shock. They, it's been ages since Sadat Nirari III were campaigning in Syria, or shamshi Ilu. Now the Assyrians are everywhere, and they saw what happened to our pod. So this leaves the Phoenicians in, uh, in a pretty bad spot. They cannot resist this. They have made good money on providing luxury goods to the Assyrians, but now they understand that they are next. They will be vassal states tiglath pileser III really wants Phoenicia because the Phoenicians are amazing sailors, and the Assyrians are the worst sailors, next to the Egyptians. <laughs> the Assyrians are really scared of the sea, they need a good navy. So the Phoenicians expect tiglath pileser III to conquer them all, and at best, they will be Assyrian vassal states. So this is a pretty bad spot. The, the Phoenicians have strong walls, etc., but our pod had strong walls, and now they're all dead in our pod. So the Phoenicians—they yeah, don't want to die. Right. Smart. So uh, let's review what happened here in the 740s BC. We saw the empire on its deathbed in the last episode. Right. By all logic, the empire should be gone. Sarduri II should have succeeded in his plan. It would be in the final Urachan victory, and we would talk about the Urachan Empire, but uh, we don't because of Tiglath Peles III.
2: Amazing. Absolutely yeah, amazing. Bef-
3: before this episode, Israel, Judah, Damascus, Arpad, Gurgum, Kamuk, Kirkhamish, Mana, Media, Parsa, Lippi, Namri, Bablon, Iraq, they all counted out to Syria. Now they are all. Under the Assyrians <laughs> were influenced, and the That's thing is incredible. that Tiglath-Pileser III is just getting started.
2: All this in what three years? Five years. Five years. Excuse me.
3: Yeah, because of those stupid Arpadians. <laughs> it's,
2: it's it's hard to imagine how they lasted that long. Because where did they get supplies from?
3: I think they were, like, uh, now I'm speculating, but they had sort of river water in the city and fishing opportunities and stuff. Oh, I see. So I I think they could have been besieged forever or a very, very long time, but uh, once the walls were breached, they were all going to be flayed.
2: Wow. Amazing. Well, that's it for this episode. In our next episode... Tiglath Pileser III goes on campaign, and boy, everyone should be worried. Yeah, I think that now if you're a neighboring state of
3: Assyria, you're like, uh, well, my neighbors are vassals, I'm not. uh, I better become a vassal. Right.
2: Eh,
3: Seems about
2: vassal time.
3: (laughs) But of course there is a fiscal limit with how far his influence can spread even though he's this amazing general sure he's not going to get to China
2: (laughs) (laughs) that would yeah there would definitely be history history book um, mentions if that happened (laughs) definitely I am going to
3: shout out some patrons oh great Uh, So I should prepare this first, but now I am in Patreon. So patreon.com slash Fan of history So I want to thank some people for supporting this and we need Some more people we need to get the $30 to go past 701 BC and please help us do that I want to thank Hall. I want to thank Frody. I want to thank Rebecca I want to thank Richard. There's also a couple of people that don't want to receive any thanks. So thank you all people who don't want to receive thanks for your names. (laughs) So when you become a patron, you can choose whether you want the rewards or not. And there are, if you choose to sponsor us for more than $5, there are some interesting rewards as well. You can get to choose the subject of an episode. So we'll do a Final History episode. On something you want to hear about. It doesn't need to be ancient history at all. We could do episodes on Churchill if you want that. So, uh, but next time we're going to talk about Tiglath Palliser III.
2: All right. So, please go to YouTube also. Subscribe, like, and share with all your friends. Give us a review on iTunes or Podbean or Stitcher or whatever you're listening to. Facebook.com slash fan of history. Also on the web, the dot Patreon.com as mentioned before, slash fan of history. If you'd like to follow Dan is at Dan Horning on Twitter and I'm at Cerulean says hi. So we want to thank you for listening.
3: Well, I have something more. I thought of. Uh, if uh, Check out our YouTube channel. It's just search YouTube for fan of history. For the Christmas season this year, I'm doing a Christmas thing. It is going to last for all of December. I am going to be reading to you in ancient Mesopotamian epic voice, <laughs> the entire epic of Gilgamesh. Oh, wow. Uh, the oldest literary work we know about. So you will hear the story of the epic king of Uruk, Gilgamesh, and his quest to cheat death. And this comes down to us from the earliest versions are from 2100 BC. And uh, the best versions of the epic of Gilgamesh will be... Uh, will be discovered in the ruins of the last Assyrian capital in the great library of the Assyrians, which I look forward to talking about in the 7th century BC. But the full epic of Gilgamesh on the final History YouTube channel in December.
2: That'll be amazing.
3: Yeah, no, there are also some Assyrian megalomania king speeches in uh, epic voice <laughs> on the <laughs> YouTube channel. So check those out. All right, sounds good.
2: For this week, I'm Brennan. I'm Dom. This has been the Fan of History.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.
0: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is the story of the wad. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding. Or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
1: Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind.